I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. This hour, it's Decision 2022, a candidate conversation. Joining us is Republican challenger for Utah's 4th District House seat, Jay Kunsinger. Our hosts are Boyd Matheson and Maria Chaleos on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome to our candidate conversation today. I am Boyd Matheson. Very pleased to have in the chair next door. Maria Chaleos. Thank joins. you so much for having me. All right. I'm excited and, to be here. <laughs> and we are excited. Uh, we did invite both candidates to have a debate here on KSL News Radio. Jake Hunsaker, a uh, candidate for the 4th Congressional District, accepted that, and uh, his opponent did not. And uh, so we're going to have a great conversation for the next hour and cover a wide range of issues that impact the 4th Congressional District as well as the entire state of Utah and the country uh, as all of those things play out. So, Jake, thanks for joining us today. Hey, pleasure to be here. I'm always uh, open to opportunities to talk with voters about my vision for the district and debate ideas. I think that's the foundational principle of our democracy. So thank you for having me. Wonderful. Well, we're going to dive right into it. And uh, throughout this hour, uh, we, will, we will have Jake Hunsaker live here on KSL News Radio. And I wanted to start uh, this a little bit different than normally we would in a candidate forum uh, and talk a little bit about where we are in terms of our politics. Uh, last uh, Thursday night, Senator Ben Sass, Republican from Nebraska, spoke at the Reagan Center uh, and talked about uh, what we're seeing in our politics in terms of what politicians are doing with institutions of government as platforms. And uh, Jake, I'm going to have you listen to uh, about a minute of Senator Ben Sass, and I want you to respond in terms of what it means uh, in terms of your candidacy for the 4th Congressional District. Right now, we have a government of the weirdos, by the weirdos, and for the weirdos. <laughs> Most real people are tuning out, regrettably, but understandably, and they're letting the very online, very angry dominate our politics. Our politicians now consistently act like jack wagons, and they do it for a reason. It's because they're primarily just performing for other jack wagons. Echo chamber politicians drinking their own bathwater isn't entirely new, of course, but what is new and something is new here, is the instant feedback loop of social media. Politicians increasingly addict themselves to likes and retweets. And they act and they think, but mostly they just feel, like social media is where real life happens. Happily, they're very, very wrong. Yes, there's lots of grandstanding going on, but the grandstands are really small and they're mostly empty. Political Twitter isn't real. Only 22% of Americans use it, and more than half of the one-fifth of Americans who use Twitter never follow politics on it. The vast majority of traffic on Twitter is driven by well under 2% of the American public. 
And yet politicians, again, left and right, are barely distinguishable in seeking to cater to this tiny minority and the algorithms that drive their addicted engagement. So, Jake, as, as you look at running for Congress, uh, we always like to be able to quote Senator Sass uh, because we get to use terms like jack wagon and performative jackassery. <laughs> those, are, those are new terms for me. <laughs> They're yes. new, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> we'll give you a glossary. Uh, but as you look at where we are in terms of this performative uh, aspect that seems to be driven by social media and national cable news, uh, what's your approach to all of this as you look at running in the 4th District? Oh, listen, there is no question in my mind uh, or I think in the minds of voters across District 4, that we have created a toxic game of celebrity politics that is further and further away from home, more and more divisive, and less and less productive. We see this in the budgets that congressional representatives alloc- choose how to allocate themselves, and less and less of it goes toward legislative research, and more of it goes to social media management and PR. Uh, and we see this in the 4th District. It's why I'm running for Congress, because uh, I'm running against someone who views his seat in Congress, representing uh, Utah voters as I think essentially a second you know celebrity retirement that doesn't necessarily hold him to account in terms of his impact or his actual representation of the people but caters to this celebrity toxic game where Twitter matters more than anything else where the clickbait headlines are what drive the donor dollars and uh, manufacture outrage and that is the unfortunate fuel of today's political uh, mechanisms and it's really fracturing our communities and breaking our country uh, you know two weeks ago or three weeks ago now we celebrated teacher appreciation week here in utah and on twitter this kind of cesspool that ben sass just described for the most uh, ridiculous kind of headlines and, and clickbait uh type of politics my opponent burgess owens tweeted out that you know calling public school teachers adult strangers and sexual groomers i mean my gosh you know and he used that somehow as some sort of justification for his school choice position well i'm a conservative i believe in competition in a free market approach to education i believe that school choice can be a very promising uh principle in public education you know but but dumbing down that conversation to somehow calling uh, public school teachers adult strangers and sexual groomers, that is an exact example of what Ben Sass is describing, and it's destructive. So you kind of hit on where I wanted to go, and it's about the divisiveness between the partiness and the performative nature, and you've hit on where I wanted to go in a video that you posted just last month. You did call out Burgess Owens for that derogatory, demeaning, toxic, and extreme rhetoric. Let's listen for a second to your video. I will not shy away from talking about the things my opponent gets wrong. That's an appropriate and natural part of any political campaign. But hear me when I say there's a difference between calling all public school teachers sexual groomers and calling Burgess out for shamefully avoiding debates. There's a difference between calling all Democrats whiners, weenies, and wimps and calling out his absenteeism, outside funding, and hundreds of Fox News audition appearances. There's a difference between calling Joe Biden an illegitimate president despite court rulings and constitutional law and calling out the alarming lack of policy substance and leadership we've seen from my opponent every single day for the last two years. Now, I filed to run against Burgess Owens. He did not file to run against me. So I know that the burden lies with me to justify my race, not only to share my vision for our district, but also to highlight what the incumbent is getting wrong. And that's appropriate. 
And so there at the end, you really talk about the divisiveness between the parties. And for many Americans, that is the biggest concern. How can Congress ever move forward, make decisions when there is this divisive nature? And I want to know why you want to immerse yourself in the middle of that and how you think you can make a difference. Well, there's no question that uh, I've I've questioned my own sanity many times since jumping into this race because it is such a toxic you know, cesspool uh, of, of divisiveness right now. And that's why we see historically low turnouts for primary elections, municipal elections, county elections, because voters associate all of the very functional levels of government with the most dysfunction, uh, the most dysfunctional things that we see from this very national polarizing game of politics. Uh, but I think there is some really impactful, uh, uh, there are some really impactful initiatives that I want to take that I think a real representative would take and something that we don't see from Burgess Owens. And the first piece of that is showing up. You know, showing up is your number one job as someone who is elected to represent the interests and the voices and the issues of your community. And Burgess Owens has shown time and time again that his interest is in uh, catering to a very small group of people that he knows will, you know, vote him into office, maybe because of his Super Bowl ring, uh, you know, maybe because of his divisiveness, actually. Uh, and he doesn't feel any and in any way beholden to the voices of the rest of our constituency in District 4. It's, ha- it's why he didn't even bother to show up to meet with Democrat lawmakers in last uh, this past uh, session on the Hill in Salt Lake, uh, you know, because he knows that there's 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 no incentive right now to actually show up to listen to concerns that are other than a very, very small minority of the voters. And, you know, he, he hasn't done his number one job of showing up. He hasn't done his number one job of showing up in terms of being held accountable by real people and real voters. He's had four town halls his entire time in office before he hit the campaign trail again. Uh, com- contract that to the dozens of town halls that Blake Moore and John Curtis have had in the same amount of time. This is someone who's not interested in answering questions or being held accountable or explaining his votes or hearing other perspectives. So you've got to do the number one job of show up. And and we see it, you know, today, the empty chair right here beside me, a very real example of someone who's not interested in showing up and earning your vote. Uh, the second piece of that, if I can, is that you have to, uh, in a very partisan environment. I understand and voters understand that you're not going to progress every piece of Republican legislation that you want to, you know, when we don't have control of the House, the Senate, the White House. I understand that. But there is a whole, you know, I would say an 80% of middle ground uh, solutions here that are apolitical and nonpartisan that just require, you know, three ounces of creativity in order to uh, discover and champion. And this, you know, translates in every facet of politics and federal lands conversations, how we utilize those federal lands while we fight the non, you know, the partisan fight when we're in control of, of getting more control over those. There are ish, there are ways we can utilize those uh, and get Democrat buy-in in the meantime. Uh, same thing with lowering fuel prices and and uh, creating free and fair trade that lowers that increases competition and and gets gas prices down. Uh, there are a lot of apolitical, nonpartisan ways we can do that. They're not getting discussed because they don't drive the donor dollars, but they're absolutely there for the representatives who want to talk about them. All right, you're listening to. KSL News Radio's fourth congressional conversation today. We've got uh, Jake Hunsaker in the booth with us. We appreciate him being here. We're going to step aside for a 
quick commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to pick up and uh, get some more of Jake's vision in terms of what would he do on the floor of the House of Representatives. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Decision 2022, a candidate conversation with Jake Hunsaker on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to our candidate conversation today. I'm Boyd Matheson. Very pleased to be joined by Maria Chaleos in the booth here along with Jake Hunsaker. And we're going to continue our conversation as we dive into some of the crucial issues that are facing the country, also facing the state and the 4th Congressional District. And uh, Jake, as we've uh, had the opportunity to hear a little bit of your broad brush in terms of why you're in this mess <laughs> uh, and engaging in this political process, which I think is is so crucial, uh, that now I want to really zero in on a couple of the, the big ticket issues items where I think we've got to have some crucial conversations and, and really get a sense of your vision of what you're for in these spaces. Uh, obviously, with the recent uh, mass shootings around the country from Buffalo down to Uvalde, Texas, and, uh, and other places in between, on Friday, President Biden laid out some specifics in terms of his proposals as it relates to gun violence. Why don't you take a listen to President Biden, and then let's talk about some of the things that you're for as it relates to the gun question. But here's what I believe we have to do. Here's what the overwhelming majority of American people believe we must do. Here's what the families in Buffalo and Uvalde in Texas told us we must do. We need to ban assault weapons in high-capacity magazines. And if we can't ban assault weapons, then we should raise the age to purchase them from 18 to 21. Strengthen background checks. Enact safe storage law and red flag laws. Repeal the immunity that protects gun manufacturers from liability. Address the mental health crisis, deepening the trauma of gun violence and as a consequence of that violence. These are rational, common sense measures. So those were the president's comments at the end of last week. But over the weekend, we had 10 mass shootings over the weekend. At last count, at least a dozen dead, 60 injured. Uh, depending on who you ask about mass shootings and how they're counting the numbers, there are some media outlets saying there have been 246 so far this year. Others saying down to 176. Either way, it's almost one a day if you look at the numbers. So what I want to know, first of all, is when does Congress, when is Congress ready to act? Do you think we are in that space now where we are ready for some change? Well, I, I think, you know, Congress needs to be ready the second any life is lost uh, to any cause and certainly to these tragic and violent circumstances. 
uh, you know, they, they are responsible to have a response. And they're the leaders, they're the legislators, and we expect them to come up with solutions. And so I join my voice with millions of Americans and with both parties to call on Congress to act. And uh, not only that, but to come together and to shed partisan talking points. Now, there are some fundamental differences that I have with what the president said and with what the outlook of the Democrat Party is. Uh, And those come down to my support for the Second Amendment uh, of the Constitution. I am someone who really, truly values, and I think there are, you know, hundreds of millions of Americans who truly value these documents as the foundational essence of our country. And if we cannot come back to those documents to guide our legislation and to protect the rights of citizens, then we have nothing. And so uh, certainly it is Congress's job to act, and it is also Congress's job to keep in mind the, the checks of the Second Amendment and the Constitution. Listen, our country is one of only three in the entire world where we have the right to keep and bear arms enshrined in our founding documents. And so this problem is already a uniquely American problem. And it doesn't mean we ignore it. It doesn't mean that we have an excuse for the bloodshed and the, and the tragic loss of life. I mean, it does mean that we have to find uniquely American solutions and be creative so that we can accommodate the Second Amendment rights of Americans uh, while helping solve the problem. And so I think that some of those, and I call that buzzword legislation, you know, some people will be, before they ever look at a piece of legislation, they'll be adamantly against it or for it if it includes the words you know uh, background checks or red flag laws or uh, anything like that Uh, my job as a legislator and what i would want to do as your next representative is to look thoughtfully at the legislation and and uh, determine whether it violates constitutionality of that law and whether it is data-driven and protects lives and i think there's a spectrum of red flag laws certainly a spectrum of background check laws state by state some of them do violate that due process and some of them don't and republicans need to be willing to have conversations that help in a data-driven way solve these crises in our schools protect school children and democrats need to acknowledge that there's not one single lever that needs to be pulled here right this is not all about guns we are we are in a crisis of humanity in our country we have gratuitous violence in our media we have drug and alcohol abuse we have broken and fractured homes we have schools and communities that don't have access to mental health uh, uh, facilities and resources these are all levers that we expect congress to pull and politicizing this and and uh minimizing the impact uh of of any legislation and narrowing our scope to one single tool or piece of legislation is damaging and leaves our communities footing the bill and and we need someone who's going to come back against the constitution and acknowledge the impactful things that we can do so i'm hearing you say though you wouldn't be in favor of a ban on assault weapons well, there's a legal precedent that we have to consider. I heard the president mention that along with uh, age restrictions uh, in terms of, uh, you know, 18 year olds being able to uh, purchase assault weapons. Listen, 18 year olds go out to defend our country. We, we entrust 18 year olds with a lot of things. Uh, and additionally, legal precedent matters in this country. And in California last week, a, a law was struck down as being unconstitutional that bans uh, weapon sales to 18 year olds we have to take all of those things into account uh, but there are levers that we can pull i believe in a bipartisan way that enables states to be impactful on this very critical uh, issue in our schools and communities 
And obviously, as we, look, as we look at this question, and I want you to project forward as if you were in Congress uh, at the moment. We know there are things happening on the Senate side, a gang of 10, a bipartisan group that's trying to hammer out some things. Uh, we also know precedent, 2013 Sandy Hook, 2015. Uh, these, these gangs and groups do their thing, and then they come up with an all-or-nothing package that usually ends up being nothing. Uh, we did hear something from the Democrats uh, over the weekend. 21 House Democrats sent a note to Speaker Pelosi uh, saying, we don't want one big comprehensive thousand page bill. Uh, we want you to break these into very small pieces. Let's break it into eight pieces and have very specific votes on those. Uh, if that were to happen, uh, what are some of the areas where you could be a yes vote on not a massive sweeping generalization, but on some very targeted pieces uh, that might have an impact? Well, I, I really, truly uh, want to commit and have already committed to not be a buzzword legislator, which means that, you know, I have to look at the piece of legislation in order to determine how I would vote first. So I can't sit here in a studio and, and try and gain votes by promising something that I haven't looked at yet. I think we got a lot of politicians, by the way, who do that. Uh, very few politicians who are honest about the fact that every bill varies and that uh, the legal mechanisms in a piece of legislation vary and matter. Uh, in terms of our documents and the guiding principles of our country, so I would be I would sorry, be open to, to yeah I would be open to bills that talk about uh, more responsible background checks. Uh, you know, uh, certainly any uh, red flag log type red flag law type bills that do not, uh, and I want to be very clear about that, do not violate individual due process for gun owners, but allow us to have responsible conversations uh, in a way that doesn't place undue burden. On individuals, a legal undue burden on individuals uh, in our community in order to be able to exercise their Second Amendment rights. Okay, fantastic. We're going to step aside for bottom of the hour news. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with fourth congressional candidate Jake Hunsaker. Maria Chaleos, Boyd Matheson, sitting in the studio with you today for this hour of special coverage on KSL News Radio. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Decision 2022, a candidate conversation with Jake Hunsaker on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to our candidate conversation on KSL News Radio today. I am Boyd Matheson, and Maria Chaleos is uh, driving us forward in this conversation. We're going to do just a really quick wrap up on our previous segment, uh, talking about uh, guns and uh, the Second Amendment, and obviously the the tragic shootings that we've had. And uh, Jake, as we, as we look at this uh, again, we know we're we're not going to cause you to to kind of project into a piece of legislation we haven't seen uh, although there are a lot of votes in congress that are voted on with no one actually thousands read of it. bills yeah. <laughs> read the thousands of bills. Yeah. but but give us something specific that if you were on the floor of the house today and nancy pelosi gave you an opportunity to offer an amendment or to put a piece of legislation on the floor what's the most important thing in your view that we ought to be having congress debate in front of the american people um, i think uh, comes down to really, you know, uh, when I think about the fundamental rights of the Constitution, we have a right to free speech, uh, you know, right to uh, keep and bear arms. We've got a, a number of very key rights that Americans are very aware of that are fundamental to our country. And all of those have uh, some sort of framework in place in terms of what is uh, and is not constitutional. Uh, you know, calling fire in a theater, threatening a bomb in an airport. Those are, those are things that violate, you know, uh, free speech. Uh, and I think that there are ways in which we can get real about people who are a direct threat to themselves and to others who have the means to be violent and are, uh, you know, ha have said and made threats um, to themselves and others to empower law enforcement 
so that law enforcement can be made aware of threats, uh, the potential for violence before it happens in our schools. And uh, then certainly couple that with uh, resources in our communities and our schools for uh, mental health awareness, gun safety, making sure that schools and teachers and principals and, and uh, uh, school resource officers know what signs to look for, uh, know how to react in a time of crisis. Those are very easy levers that we can pull. And I applaud the efforts of the House to dissect each of these bills one at a time into single-issue bills. We need much more of that. And, and I hope we get to talk about congressional ethics and congressional functionality later on in the conversation. That's a very key area where Congress is broken and it keeps us and gridlock and it keeps us from actual solutions is you know the single issue uh approach to bills but let me say really quickly before we wrap the conversation on the second amendment and guns uh you know my opponent and i are both republican and this is the challenge that comes from running within your party is that overall philosophies may be aligned but there is a very real difference and voters should uh expect that when they vote someone into office that person does not lean on flawed and lazy logic and shows up to find real solutions. And let me give you an example of this. In the gun conversation, on his website, my opponent says that red flag laws are a slippery slope to essentially the government uh, taking over the, the entire Second Amendment, confiscating all firearms, and, and stripping Americans of their rights. Slippery slope logic is something that politicians use all the time. It is flawed. And it is lazy and it is unproductive and sometimes destructive. Uh, if you can imagine, you know, uh, having a speed limit on a road and having someone say the second that the state imposes a speed limit for safety concerns is, is, is you know, one step toward having the state try to confine us all to our homes. That's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous notion. And we have a lot of lawmakers right now who won't put in the actual due diligence of studying the Constitution, studying legal frameworks, studying legal precedent, and studying uh, you know Second Amendment rights, for example, and the problems that we're trying to solve in a data-driven approach uh, to actually come up with solutions themselves. The slippery slope logic is uh, is really really damaging to our productivity as a democracy. Uh, a few weeks ago, he added to that toxic conversation by equating manliness and manhood and, and being a real man to some. Uh, to the ability of anyone to use actively a gun. That type of rhetoric is not only lazy, it's extreme. And it emboldens violent offenders and adds toxicity to a conversation where parties already feel like there's no common ground and Americans already are footing the bill for a dysfunctional Congress. We've got to have real solutions. We need someone who's not going to lean on flawed and lazy logic. And we need someone who's going to come up fundamentally against the Constitution, but also look for proactive solutions. We should mention that we did invite Congressman Owens to be part of this conversation, to be part of a debate today. He did not respond to any of our requests. And that's the reason he's not here to speak for himself. Uh, one of one of four debates he has rejected. Uh, the only federal candidate in, in Utah who will not debate to earn his constituents' votes, I might add. Okay, we need to move on to the economy because we have a new poll out today. It shows more than 8 in 10 Americans, 83%, now say the economy is either extremely or very important in the issue in determining how they're going to vote. That's a new ABC News Ipsos poll today. What role do you believe Congress plays in improving the economy? You mentioned gas prices earlier. Our gas prices in Utah today, they jumped up to four eighty-seven for an average for a gallon. That's up 25 cents in a week up 59 cents in a month uh, inflation is the number one concern of americans because it's uh, an existential crisis for our economy and it leaves us footing the bill for irresponsible policies in washington and uh, there's a reason why my number one priority and and by the way i have laid out very clearly 
uh, over and over again that I have a vision for what I want to proactively accomplish. I'm not just running against Democrats. I'm running for something, and we need more people running for something. My number one priority is to cut spending and pass a budget. That's a very easy thing that Congress can do in order to trim inflation. Now we've got uh, we've had a lot of multi uh, you know uh, multi thousand page uh, stimulus and spending packages come through Congress in the last year that have added directly to the amount of fake money in our economy and have uh, added directly to this problem of inflation. You also have irresponsible energy policies that have led Americans to paying more at the pump. And uh, of course, we have a six to nine month lag in terms of how the oil industry can uh, accommodate that and uh, make good on existing oil reserves and uh, land leases. What we can do in the short term to lower inflation and besides cutting spending, is to expect solutions from Congress that are not that are apolitical and nonpartisan. Uh, I, I, I think about something like the Jones Act, and uh, it was passed in the early 1900s. Mandates American shipping for American manufactured uh, uh, goods from port from American port to American port. That means that if you're an oil refinery on the coast of California, it's more expensive potentially for you to buy domestic oil and refine it than for you to buy foreign oil. And refine it because of the shipping involved from port to port. Uh, and that uh, impacts groceries. It impacts uh, American-made manufactured goods. That's something that you could get bipartisan support to revisit, restructure, or repeal so that we can lower costs in the very short term for Americans at the pump, uh, certainly at, uh, in the grocery store, and, and make it easier to put food on the dinner table. And so there are a number of things that Congress should be doing rather than bickering to bring down the cost of inflation. But this is a very pressing issue for, for Utahns and why my number one priority is to pass a budget. We're, we're so dysfunctional right now, we can't even pass a budget, you know, let alone balance the budget. You know, and so we need to get back to a place where Congress knows this, this is its number one job and we see the implications of their irresponsibility every day in Utah. Maria, we do need to note in the file that uh, Jake does get a bonus point for referencing the Jones Act. So that's... Uh, okay. <laughs> do I? I didn't know we were giving him points. Yeah, there, there's, well, yeah, there's no points on any of this because uh, it's a conversation, not a debate. But if it were, that would definitely be a point on the Jones Act because it does have a real impact. It's one that a lot of people are not familiar with. Uh, before we wrap up this uh, segment, uh, Jake, I want to ask you this about that spending. Uh, sometimes it's easy to yell at your enemies, but it's tough to, to tell your friends the truth. And we know that spending's been out of control under both... Both Democratic and Republican administrations, uh, often because it is hard to vote no on something that is the We Shall Have Clean Air Act or We Love Puppies Act, uh, as all of these bills are named. Uh, how do you approach that in terms of looking at the fiscal responsibility and something that, oh, but this is so good, it'll help so many people? Well, and that's a difficult uh, thing to come up against because we know that uh, politicians, my opponent included, uh, no, I mean, you know, today, case in point, know that it's easier to put money in your constituents' pockets uh, than it is to show up and actually earn their vote through thoughtful discussion and debate. And that's why the whole system is broken, because we keep seeing bills that do just that. Uh, what we also need to have a conversation about is something that no politician wants to talk about. The words, and, you know, they're almost swear words in politics, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. These are the mandatory spending programs that are suffocating our ability as a country to even budget. Uh, because every year they grow and grow and grow. 
and it's leaving the discretionary spending. Even these bills uh, that fund discretionary programs in the federal government uh, are superfluous because every year the mandatory spend is such a huge chunk of our opera, of our annual revenue, uh, GDP, and budget. And I want to go back to Washington and have a real conversation about how we restructure these over time in a way that does not rob Americans of the money they've paid into these programs, but weans us off of them over time. You think about the way, for example, that corporate America has gone from a company-based pension plan to uh, individual-based 401ks, for example, over the last 20 years. Incrementally, no one's been robbed of their pension plan uh, other than the inflation that's taking it, you know, making them take a huge hit right now. Uh, uh, but but uh, consumers hold the the power right now over their own retirements in a much more uh, substantive way than they ever would have been able to under a company-based pension plan. We can do the same thing with things like Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security that gets the federal government back out of the business of managing American dollars because they've shown they don't do it very well and they're bankrupting these programs and suffocating our budgeting process in, in the middle. Uh, you know, I talk about we spend a lot of time politically bickering over the price of a stick of gum while we're paying a $6,000 monthly lease on a Ferrari in the driveway. And it's, be, you know, and so we get the points from all these these bills. We need to address mandatory spending programs that are that are bankrupting our country. Fantastic. You're listening to KSL News Radio's Canada Conversation for the 4th Congressional District. We're going to step aside for one last commercial break. Come back. We'll wrap up our conversation with Jake Hunsaker running for the 4th Congressional seat. Maria Chaleos and Boyd Matheson in here in the studio. We'll be right back. Decision 2022, a candidate conversation with Jake Hunsaker on KSL News Radio. And thank you for joining us this afternoon. We are speaking with Jake Hunsaker in the 4th District Congressional Race. And Jake, thanks so much for being here today. And also, we need to mention that we did invite Congressman Owens to join you today and to have a debate, but he did not respond to any of our questions. So that is why you are here again with the empty seat right beside you. Thank you for the opportunity. All right. So in this last segment, we want to get into a little bit of uh, what I call allies and alliances and kind of your approach uh, to the role of being a member of Congress. Uh, I think it uh, being able to distinguish allies and alliances is a defining leadership quality in the 21st century. Sometimes you're going head to head with people and other times you got to have them as your strategic partner. We look at places like Russia and China. We're obviously battling with them. We also need them as allies to deal with places like North Korea. Uh, and so as you look at going back, who are uh, some of the allies and alliances, uh, Democrats or Republicans, that you kind of have your eye on of, hey, there's somebody I can do business with. I may disagree with them on a host of other things, but uh, maybe there's something we can get done together. Yeah, well, I think it goes back to what Reagan said, which is that, you know, your 20% uh, foe is, uh, or is <laughs> I'm going to mess this up. Your 80% friend is not your 20% foe, right? You know, we want a big tent party, and that uh, translates in the way that we also, uh, you know, approach legislation in Congress. There are a number of ways you can build coalitions in Congress across party lines, certainly within the party, to accomplish conservative of uh, uh, you know policy, um, I think about federal lands, which is my second priority. Championing the state uh, power in the federal lands conversation, the way we fight fires, the way we access critical water resources, the way we develop our communities during times of hypergrowth. Uh, federal bureaucracy harms Californians just as much as it harms Utahns. It harms you know Oregonians just as much as it hurts our communities here in Utah. There are a number of ways to build a voting block coalitions, 
uh, potentially even caucuses in Congress across party lines with people who want the federal government out of our communities. Uh, and so I would be very open to building those types of partnerships in Congress to fight for Utah in the federal lands conversation. Uh, certainly in our own party, there are caucuses that I respect that have a broad buy-in. I really, really appreciate what John Curtis, for example, has done to get, I think, two-thirds of Republican lawmakers in Congress to sign on to uh, his climate caucus and, and energy caucus so that we can have thoughtful conversations to fill this void about energy and, and climate conversations in our party. Otherwise, listen, if Republicans don't I've – been, I've been advised, by the way, not to say the word climate because I'm a Republican – you know, uh, my gosh, you know, if we're not saying the word climate or you say whatever you want, planet, environment, we all want to be good stewards of this earth. Right. And if we're not saying the word climate, then the only person saying it is AOC in New York and coming up with ludicrous uh, pieces of legislation like the Green New Deal that will cost us hundreds of billions of dollars and have a heavy handed regulatory approach to solving this. I appreciate those types of coalitions. John Curtis has done a great job of, of building consensus around conservative philosophy that will help us be part of that conversation. And I would love to do much more of that. We've talked a lot about the divisiveness in the parties in Congress. And uh, many Americans are facing political exhaustion is what I would call it. It's a primary election. Many people don't vote in a primary. Why would you, why should people come out and vote during this primary? How do they know that they're going to make a difference? The reason I'm running is... Because I fundamentally believe that in this country, something that is unique to this country is that not only do we say that all men are created equal, we actually believe it. And that means that a voter in Riverton has just as much sway in the direction that our country takes and in the policies that will drive us to a better version of ourselves than any celebrity politician on the late night cable news network. And I want voters in Riverton and I want voters in San Pete County and Juab County and, and Salem, where I have some siblings and West Valley City. I want you to know today that your voice matters and that you have a candidate on your ballot who will show up to fight for you and to represent you and who showed up to debate ideas today. You also have a candidate on your ballot who didn't bother to earn your vote, who thinks it's beneath him to engage in the democratic process and the elections process that is so fundamental to this country. I want voters to know that these elections matter. We can continue to contribute to a broken and divisive and toxic and unproductive environment in Congress, or we can choose to send our neighbor. We can choose to send someone with solutions. We can choose to send someone who's not going to engage in a Fox News audition track and instead engage in thoughtful legislation that the founding fathers of our country uh, had in mind when they structured this whole thing to be a government of the people, by the people, for the people. Not what was the term Ben Sass used earlier? Uh, jack of the, wagons? Of the, yeah, jack wagons. Jack, not a government of jack wagons. <laughs> a government of the people, by the people, for the people. And I've been encouraged the last, listen, I've been campaigning since August. And I've been encouraged every every day, every weekend as I've sat in parking lots and parks and, and grocery stores and over dinner tables with voters in our district that they know this is a government of the people, by the people, for the people. And voters uh, should know that as well. And that's why these debates matter. That's why I want their vote. That's why we want a functional democracy is so that those voices matter.
Final question for you, Jake, as we wrap up, wrap up our uh, fourth congressional conversation here at KSL News Radio. Malia, uh, Maria Shaleos, <laughs> I'm Boyd Matheson. Uh, it's a tongue twister Monday for it sure. Uh, but as uh, you go through this process, and as you mentioned, it is a hard, heavy lift to, to go through this process. Uh, regardless of the outcome on June 28th, what is it that's going to make this whole process worth it for you? Just give you about a minute. I think this country uh, is a country of uphill battles i'm not delusional you know facing an incumbent with a super bowl ring 80 percent out of state funding you know two million dollars fundraise 74 special interest pack donations this is an uphill battle and it's because we have a, a broken system and I, I i am not delusional about my chances but i think if enough voters uh coalesce around the idea that we want something better and show up in a way that my opponent has not shown up for them. We have a real chance on June 28th. And if we don't, the battle still matters. Uh, that's what we were taught from the very earliest days of our republic. It's what we're taught every single day by people battling in Ukraine for their country. It's what we're taught every single day by politicians who aren't afraid to stand up for what's right. And to have a backbone and to lead out despite the political repercussions and despite the unpopularity of standing for something. And I want voters to know that standing for something matters today, mattered yesterday, and it will always matter. And that's why this race is so important. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. All right, Maria Chaleos, any last thought before we... Uh Wrap it all up. I just want people to join us again at 3 o'clock this afternoon. We'll have a similar conversation in the second congressional district race. Absolutely. And uh, Jake Hunsaker, we appreciate you joining the fourth congressional candidate conversation today. Some important things. Remember to vote. You should have uh, ballots are in the mail. You can also show up and do it live. June 28th is the vote. It does matter. Uh, big thanks to Jake Hunsaker for joining us in studio today. And for Maria Chaleos, I'm Boyd Matheson. We'll continue more candidate conversations this afternoon. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.